Hi, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino, and I am a psychotherapist in Chicago. I have a private practice called Head Heart Therapy. I teach at a couple universities. I have this podcast. I'm actually starting another podcast. Don't tell anybody. I mean, P.S. actually, tell everybody. As soon as I figure out when that's going to be released, I'm going to be letting everybody know about that podcast. So stay tuned. Anyway, welcome. Welcome to today's episode. I was so excited to talk to our new friend, Joe Clements. If you have been listening to the podcast for a while, I believe it was January of 2019 when I interviewed Roxanne McDonald. And Roxanne is the mastermind behind uh, Spiritual AF on Instagram. And she and Joe started a podcast together. And of course, I started listening because Roxanne is amazing. And I figured anybody that she hangs out with is also amazing. And I started listening to it and I just couldn't stop because it's the perfect blend of spiritual discussion and also poop jokes and whatever else comes out of their mouths that's absolutely amazing. And I just feel I just feel such a resonance with both of them. So I was so excited to talk to Joe and I think you're gonna really dig him too. So a little bit more about Joe. He is a sought-after mindfulness meditation teacher and host of the hit podcast, Spiritual AF or whatever. He has spent more than two decades applying the teachings of Sit, Feel, Heal to bring more awareness, compassion, and presence into both his own life and the life of his students. Joe's dedicated himself to teaching mindfulness to the most at-risk populations because he believes that simple yet transformative practice can assist anyone in radically improving their lives. He believes that mindfulness may start on a meditation cushion, but focuses his teachings on how these skills can be applied to our daily lives to become more resilient, compassionate, and more authentically ourselves. So please enjoy my convo with Joe Clements. Hi, Joe. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hello. How are you? As I said before, I'm like, meh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is a struggle bus right now, and I just keep getting on, getting off, getting right back on. (laughs) Struggle bus. I like it. It's like Dookie Duca. Dookie Duca. Yeah. What's the fare on that bus? (laughs) Yeah, it's super cheap. That's why I keep getting back on, I guess. I think I have one of those season passes to that shit. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, I'm really excited to chat with you because I've been obsessively listening to your voice for the past several days. So I feel like I know you already, but I'd love for you to introduce yourself and tell people who you are and what you do. Okay. So yeah, I'm Joe Clements, and what do I do? It's such a, it's a question I get asked a lot, and I don't know mm-hmm. exactly what I do. I always say, I just show up. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I, my good friend and I, Roxanne McDonald, we do a podcast called Spiritual as Fuck or whatever. So that's a newest adventure that's been going on for a few months. But at home, in the relative world, I bring meditation groups and mindfulness groups to treatment centers. been doing that for the last three or four years, and I started working with incarcerated youth through an organization called the Mind Body Awareness Project. So I do that and also work with youth doing retreats with IBME retreats. It's inward bound meditation experience, I think is what IBME is. So I think they're out of Massachusetts or something, but I've done the Southern California retreats. I co-taught one and then mentored on one. So just 
a lot of offering meditation and mindfulness and emotional awareness and emotional intelligence groups to these populations. And I do a little bit of meditation groups on the on the outs is what we like to call them. Like so I have a, a weekly group light on the Buddhist part of it. <laughs> so more of like how mindfulness and the emotional awareness. We just started actually there's a crew of us. We call ourselves the Dharma homies. And we <laughs> offer <so> cute. <laughs> yeah, we offer uh relational mindfulness, relational Dharma. Uh, hmm. so it's like how are we using, you know, the meditation stuff is so it can get so esoteric and isolated, but how are we using these practices of mindfulness in our relationships? How are we in relationship and still honoring ourselves, but still honoring in the relationship? So that's the newest adventure. And that's what our weekly meditation groups are called is Dharma homies. That's so been pretty cool. Awesome. I definitely want to put a bookmark in this relational Buddhism because that sounds really awesome. But I'd love to hear kind of more of your story. I know you shared a bit on your podcast, but for my listeners who then will then get excited to listen to your podcast as well, because I think we actually talk about a lot of similar stuff. So at what age did you get sober? Well, this time around, I woke up 40, very like, oh, what the fuck? But when I first got sober, <laughs> well, what the fuck has happened? Like, I was just 18. Oh, yeah, this is exactly. like big backwards. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, oh, no, wait, that is how big it is. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah. When I first got sober for the first time, when I actually met Roxanne, was 93, I believe. It was a wee lad. And, and through my 20s, I stayed sober and really got into the music scene. So I started playing music and that became everything for me. Like I found this new kind of, I don't know what it was, something that really fed my ego. <laughs> I think, yeah, you know, and it's yeah. like something outside of myself. It was a new thing for me because I was strung out on heroin and I was living out of my car and just, it was, that was a mess. So when I got sober and life started happening and I got into music and I didn't really I fudged around in like 12 step kind of stuff, but not really. You can say kinda. fuck here. Yeah, yeah. I fudged around. I fucked around. <laughs> but I, I kind of, what I mean, I fudged around where I didn't really like apply anything. I uh, went to meetings okay. and ate donuts and smoked cigarettes out front mm -hmm. and heckled yeah. everybody kind of thing, you know? And yeah. we went to Denny's and got kicked out of Denny's. That was our mission. <laughs> But uh, music was my everything, you know, it was my higher power, inner power, whatever it was. It fed the ego. And that was like, it was a longing and it filled this longing for approval for all kinds of stuff. So I was in one main band for the most of my, my 20s. We did a lot of touring and I did some records and it did, we did pretty good in the punk scene in Santa Cruz. The scene in Santa Cruz was big and we were really a big part of it. Yeah. And that kind of ventured out and we, we got some offers later, but right when we were getting all the offers to bigger tours and bigger record labels was when everything imploded. And what I found was when that was gone, it was like, oh shit, I didn't really have any foundation for my recovery. So I started seeking out a little bit for, you know, I couldn't, I wasn't getting that approval kind of thing. So that emptiness and I was sneaking pills here and there, and then that just escalated. And I was just drinking through all my thirties. I opened a recording studio, still trying to be in the music industry. I really got strung out in a dark time in the recording studio. And, and I was married at the time, still married, same person and tolerant, lovely, beautiful person. <laughs> and she is definitely a saint. And like I said, I was all through my 30s and, and I woke up 40 with that whole gift of desperation thing. Just like, oh my fuck, 
And I tried everything to get off of pills, other pills to get off pills, da, 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 whatever it was, anything but going back to 12 step, right? It's like, no yeah, way, I'm yeah. not going back there. And I was like, humble my ass, no way. I did and I went back to 12 step and I knew what not to do and I applied myself and, you know, did what was suggested, even believed in something I didn't really believe in kind of thing. But what I found after like a year and a half, almost two years sober, my son was just born and I was fucking bitter. I was super bitter. I didn't want to use. I was doing everything that was suggested, but there was just something empty inside still. And it was coming out towards my family and I was angry. And so that's when a friend of mine is a meditation teacher and he was, he kept telling me to come meditate and I would uh, I couldn't tie my legs in a knot, that kind of shit, you know? And uh, it was some hippie shit anyway. I'm a punker from the east side. Don't you know? I skateboard. <laughs> some story I had. Mm -hmm. But I was desperate enough to do that. And I went and it followed some simple direction of just following my breath and found a couple of moments of peace. And I really like, I say this a lot, like, like a good junkie. I wanted more of that. So that was my path. I just I started this path of meditation. I was lucky enough that a couple of my friends were teaching at the time. So I was able to go all these retreats and I just, I learned to sit with the thoughts. I learned to sit with these difficult emotions and just watch them rise and pass and not identify too much with them. And that's been my path. And I kept going and I started doing some training to teach after like five years. So I was doing this facilitator training and some other courses and stuff. And uh, what happened was the organization that I was doing this training with just imploded and there was some stuff happened and it was just like everything just got pulled from underneath and everything just like all the people I was looking to was like, what the hell? And it left me like questioning everything. And I just really pulled back, you know, and found myself that I was even within this practice of my dharma of, of meditation of teaching i was still looking for approval from these friends that were teachers this hierarchy kind of thing like yeah. am i doing good and, and like, so i had to mm -hmm, pull back mm -hmm. from everything kind of questioned my whole practice for a little bit and in what i really landed with it i have the practice and during that time i started working with mba and doing the service with the the youth at the juvenile hall and i was really finding the service in that really powerful for my own growth as well so I just kept going with that. That was, you know, four years ago or so. And I've just been going with that. And that's been my North Star. That's just what I'm going with. And so that's how I ended up I'm teaching like almost 10 groups a week, you know, within these facilities, these treatment centers. And that's where I'm at. And that's kind of my story with a bunch of other different stuff in there. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's yeah. awesome. And it's it's funny. There's so much in that that I can relate to, even though. I have not dealt with the chemical addiction, knock on wood, but I don't know if Roxanne even knows this. I'm a, I'm a musician too. And so oh, cool. I, I sing and, you know, I thought for a long time I was going to be a famous pop singer, like, oh, yeah. and then I was going to be a Broadway star. Right. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, you get paid so much more in a band, at least in a cover band anyway, than you do like doing theater. So I was like, fuck that shit. I'm going to do music. And since I've become a therapist and have been like on more of a spiritual path, I found it really hard to balance the whole ego piece because I, yeah. I perform for me because I feel really good. Like, and I do love the adoration, of course. It's just, it's so... I don't, I don't know how to balance that for myself because you still are a musician, right? You still have a studio and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. So how do you find that? 
That's a great question. And my music these days, like where I get the most fulfillment with music is strumming on my acoustic guitar. And when I see my son singing along with me. Oh, come on now. I did actually a band that all the lyrics and the whole message, I wrote all the songs and it was a Buddhist inspired punk band. So I'm screaming these lyrics that are all like about compassion and, you know, feeling emotions and the path. It's called, it's called the deathless. And that was cool. But my relationship changed to it. My practice of meditation and mindfulness and getting in touch with this inner whatever, not running from the emotions and trying to fill anything, that I had a different relationship with it. And it was the fun was there again. And so that's just been a solo project. But where I get the most gratification out of music is just playing my acoustic guitar with my son. Or I got a Native American flute, and I love playing the Native American flute, like shit like that. I'm a total hippie now, just so you know. I think I've always have been. <laughs> but I thought I had, I had this exterior, like, I'm a uh-huh. tough dude. I'm, yeah. I'm so sensitive. <laughs> That's my superpower. But so my relationship is just that. And like, anytime I play music, I don't seek it. I don't have that seeking, that longing for that approval. I, I, it comes up in other areas of my life, even with teaching meditation sometimes, like the seeking of approval, you know, being at the front of the room, you know, so watching that. But it doesn't really come up with music anymore. Yeah, I just have projects now and writing acoustic and writing some punk songs. And if we can get, I can get different musicians to come into the studio. Cool. Yeah, different relationship. Yeah. So, okay. Now I have like big questions. I'm a, I have okay. to lean forward. Move the mic. Lean forward. <laughs> Let's do it. Come uh, on in. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just started sweating. sweating. How did I start sweating? I'm scared, Sarah. Oh, it's so different doing these when you can see somebody because there's something so intimate when I've just when it's just been audio and not video. But now that it's video, and I'm like, okay, so I'm leaning as <laughs> yeah. close as I can. So I'm just thinking about. I mean, I, I think everyone does this. You know, relate your own journey to what you're hearing and. And essentially what I'm hearing is an ability to either let go or transcend the ego or soften it or just observe it. And I'm curious if ego death was a part of that. So I guess I'm I'm in a space in my journey right now where I feel like there's a part of my psyche and my soul that is like keeping something together and there's like a pushing against it like so hard. And there's going to be a now I'm going to cry because there's going to be a breakthrough, but it's so uncomfortable right now to be in this space of just pushing. And I guess I'm I'm asking, like, does it get better? When does it get better? How does it get better? What does it look like? Like, exactly. fucking help me. That's a great question. And when you find out, please let me know. Right. Please let me know. But, yeah, but, yeah. but it, I mean, I'm guessing there was some sort of shift right there's a shift you didn't just wake up and it was like oh okay i don't have this ego issue with music anymore not with music but it's so there and it's so apparent and i was just talking to a teacher of mine just before this call about i've been really reflecting on this not self anatta is what they call it it's one of the three marks of existence in buddhism and it's really like looking at that, you know, this where there is i, I think you said the soul where it's just kind of ultimate ultimate self or ultimate reality kind of thing. I don't think that the ego has died, you know, but I have a different relationship to that. And what happens for me, and I think what you're saying about this 
there's an in touch with that soul part yeah where maybe it's your true self Mm -hmm. whatever we want to call it yeah but then there's all this like this battle to push away and that's the that's the relative reality that's the stories that we've been told our whole life and we still believe and i'm not good enough and it's i need to impress this person that person whatever it is how am i perceived is my whole fucking thing and when we first started it was like i try to rest in good enough you know because i've been so not handsome enough not strong enough not smart enough and can i just rest in enough beyond the stories of the conditioned reality you know and uh, from wherever our caregivers or peers or whatever fucking tv have been telling us and what is true to ourselves, our ego so that ego maybe some people say a right size ego i still think that's still there but it's changing my relationship to the mind and my emotions the mind being emotions too for me it's not just thoughts a lot of buddhists call the heart mind and i think that's emotions as well as well as thoughts so the ego if you're saying how do we kill the ego i don't think we do i think we can right size it i think we can change our relationship to the stories you know not believe them so much and that's what meditation has, has taught me in the beginning is to really not believe the stories as much that inner tyrant but it still comes up a lot but i'm not as reactive with them i know like today you know there's a lot of stuff going on i know what that true self is that soul that you call that whatever it is but a lot of times i don't trust it that i'm going to be okay not even i don't trust it but it's going to be okay no matter what these outside conditions are going to do so i feel like i'm really like with the podcast with all the groups that i'm doing i'm really putting myself out there being more vulnerable being authentic and that's fucking scary so i'm like still want to protect and had some huge thoughts and emotions that self-doubt thing is still there and going on a trip and you know thinking of my leave my family and all this stuff and i was just like oh my god and what happens for me is i don't take drugs and alcohol to get rid of it anymore so what happens is I get real irritable and my loved ones will feel my wrath, right? I'm getting irritable and it's like the people that I'm going to be missing, I'm going to be an asshole to. It's like, okay, this is not good. So I got to sit and just watch these fucking emotions come up and go down. And that's just like all these things that are masking that true self that I, I'm okay. That ego that the right size ego, I guess they call it, you know, so mm-hmm. it's not dead. I still, it's still mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. I mean, I wanted a prescription for how to do it, but no. I wish. I totally wish. So what you want to do is you want to sit for 20 minutes and just say meta phrases phrases the whole time. Just love yourself. Right. (laughs) Well, I've I've actually been chanting the Heart Sutra for Mm, a little over a month now. and, And one of my friends is a householder, used to be a very immersed Buddhist monk. And I was like, is this like fucking activating because I am crazy town right now. And he's like, it's purifying. Mm. (laughs) If you want to call that activating. Yeah. And I'm also doing some trauma therapy right now. And so it's all this shifting the relationship to the mind. Yeah. You're aware that sometimes all we get with our practice is just to be painfully aware. Awareness is all mindfulness is. It's present time, moment to moment awareness when we are, we're awake to the causes and conditions of our suffering, which is there's uh, greed, hatred, and delusion. I want it to be gone. You know, I hate this feeling <laughs> and I'm in delusion if I if I think I can get rid of it. So I feel like those the heart sutras are so beautiful. One thing that I feel like 
because I love metta, loving kindness. It's kind of the, the same thing, or heart sutra, yeah, kind of thing. But not just having it a bypass where it's just like just replacing, replacing, replacing. It's like, oh, so what I was doing was self-doubt was like, oh, I know it lives there. And I was really into impermanence. I'm like, I know this will pass. I just need to bear down on it. It lives in my belly and I'm going to watch it rise to my chest, go here, and then I know it'll be gone. But what was happening is I would get pissed every time it would come back. I'm like, I've been working on this, but I'm just bearing down. So how could I meet this feeling with kindness? Know that feeling's there, be totally aware of it, be with it, be curious about it, and meet it with some kindness. And go, may I be at ease. May I be at peace. May this feeling be at ease. May this rise and pass. So it's changing that relationship rather than just bearing down or getting rid of. So that's where like, I love the, the heart practices, the, the Brahma Viharas, kindness, compassion, equanimity, and uh, appreciative joy. So it's tools that we can meet these sensations that are rising and passing. Yeah. And that's just making me think, so this may be a bigger topic and, and I'm not sure your thoughts on it. I was just talking with a friend about racism and anti-racism. Mm. And in this therapy practice that I'm experiencing right now, sometimes I feel very invalidated when I'm given the opportunity to then just like practice compassion and kindness and it's called NARM, Neuroeffective Relational Model. And it's essentially they're creating space for agency to arise, which is, I think, what it is when we practice compassion. And and I was just thinking to myself, like, for me, the trauma is going to end, right? There's things that have been happening and there is going to be an end point. But if I were a person of color, there wouldn't be an end point, right? And there would still be these constant traumas. And, and obviously, you know, the hope is, is that we can help people be resilient to relate to you know, whatever adversity is happening in, in more compassionate ways. But still, I wonder for oppressed people when they hear that, if it's just so hard to accept. Because it, what I'm doing for myself is I'm coupling this idea of agency and responsibility. Mm -hmm. I haven't yet taken them apart in my heart. That is a huge question. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. All I can say to that really is what is my work internally? Because the thread to that is this trauma kind of thing, you know, all these different levels of trauma and we can have a trauma off kind of thing. But what it is, is like, yeah, it's like what I, I want to change that word for me is like just maybe karma, like some of my karma, some of the whatever kind of stuff, because, yeah, some of my traumas aren't definitely, definitely not as big and as keeps coming as, as a person of college. Or, but there's still some of the shit that uh, has defined me in a way. So until I can see my own suffering and not alleviate it, but just have a different relationship to it, then then I can be more open to the suffering of the world. Then I can be an ally. Then I can see I'm not just trying to hold mine and yours because that's right. codependency. <laughs> it's like, or like, that's why I keep coming back to Alan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, not even that. It's like because yeah. if what's happening with the, I would say the near cousin. They say sometimes the near enemy. I say it's like the compassion is codependency. I mm -hmm. see that you're yeah. hurt. Now I feel hurt. Right. Now I don't want to feel hurt. So I need to fix yours so I don't hurt. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. like, okay, what is compassion? Is holding seeing your pain, the empathy piece, seeing the pain of the, the oppressed people, seeing the pain, being with it, believing it, 
listening, not trying to fix, not trying to do anything, being an ally that way and being open enough to then have the actions that need to come from that as being a cisgender white male. Because I've been able to navigate through this world. You know, I have my things, but definitely not the added shit that oppressed populations have. So I think finding my own compassion, my own truth, changing the relationship to my suffering, then I can be more open and compassionate um, to the world. And I, I definitely love the work. I think that's where our work is, you know, within ourselves and within our communities with race and gender. But it's a big question and it's really hard for me sometimes to, I can't articulate. So it's like, I just want to be able to be open to the conversation and let me know how I can be an ally, you know? And I think for me is, I always say, you know, some of my Dharma homies, it's like, go get your boy. <laughs> you know, it's like, I got to be a voice with the people of my skin color, be more of a dominant voice than the ones that are dominant right now. Right, right. You know? Mm-hmm, yeah. So mm-hmm. that's where my work is. And it's still, I'm in the process of finding my voice in that whole, mm-hmm. that whole conversation. I think that's a good segue into the question of how you feel about the word healer. In, yeah. in terms of yourself. I was listening to your podcast. You're like, when that. is it coming? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I thought about this question and I feel like I'm so I'm still in the process of healing myself. And what I offer to people is tools and some of my own experiences that have led me to that part where I can do the healing. So I would say I wouldn't say I'm a healer, but I definitely offer people the tools to find their own healing. The tools that they can heal themselves. Because I feel like we all have the capacity to heal those wounds, but we need to stop and listen, listen to our heart, listen to our, our true self, our, our soul, as you, as you were saying. So yeah, healer, maybe, I don't know. I'm still an infant in all of this. I really am. I was reflecting on that. I'm still an infant in what I'm doing, and, and I think that's okay. I feel like I'm coming to my own, finding my own path with it and and finding my own healing at the same time, which has been kind of difficult, really. It's like offering these groups while I'm processing all my shit really big and deepening my practice at the same time. Sometimes I feel like I'm just one half step ahead of some people, you know, and it's like sometimes I'm behind some fucking people, you know, and being authentic with that. Being authentic with this is where I'm at. That's been my biggest strength is being authentic and and being willing to be vulnerable within groups or anybody I'm working with. So a healer, I don't know. (laughs) Shrug. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How about the term wounded healer? How does that sit with you? I'm definitely wounded. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. definitely wounded. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of the same thing, you know, is knowing my own wounds and still working and healing my own. So if anything, if that's what I'm doing, cool. I don't don't really know. I don't have much thought on it. That's a big thing, a healer, heal somebody. That's big. So that's a lot to take on. (laughs) And I do. I I really feel like the practice of, of Buddhism and the one thing that I've learned that that we all have the capacity to, to heal ourselves. We do. We really do. It's inside of us, but we still look outside all the time. I hear that. I mean, it sounds like what we we do is 
very similar. I, I get to go into a detox every Monday and it's my favorite thing that I do. And I talk about shame and trauma and, yeah. you know, I had a guy, yeah. there was a guy in group this week that was talking about consciousness and all of this. It, so I got to tell you this thing that was so amazing. And this, this doesn't uh, tell anybody's tales outside of treatment, but, cool. but one of the questions I ask is, you know, if shame were a color, what would it be? If shame were a food, yeah. if shame were an, an animal and somebody said mosquito and I was like, well, that's fucking brilliant. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always there. You don't really like it, but it's natural, you know, whatever. And then at some point in the conversation, this patient started talking about interconnectedness. And I was like, well, like, it's the mosquito. So if you have someone who, you know, in your life is bugging the shit out of you, but they probably still need to be here for whatever reason, we might mm -hmm. not know what that is, but just think of them as the mosquito. And it was just the coolest thing. And yeah. I love the brilliance that comes out of, of those groups. Yeah, there is so much wisdom in there. And I love that you were able to lead them to that whole metaphor, you know, because it's like, oh, and they already said it, but then just like a bigger picture around it. Like, look, they answered their own question, really. Yeah. And that's that's it. It's just guiding people to their own truth because we don't see it even when we're saying it out loud. It's like we don't see it, you know, especially early recovery and stuff. I get to work in one one recovery center where it's a 90 day plus program and I see them through each phase of their recovery right out of detox. I call it the straight out of detox group. I even have buttons of straight out of detox. Oh. The badge, there's the badge where it's an honor. Yeah. And then watching the progress, you know, and just seeing them come to life and like really getting into the practices of mindfulness. And, you know, it's not just sit down and feel your emotions. It's like get up and move a little bit, you know, do some Qigong or some let's do some art therapy let's you know really that's where I'm I'm leaning towards a little bit is like really taking the practice of Buddhism the meditation the mindfulness but more in a trauma-informed approach like in the somatic experiencing of stuff going back even to the Gabor Mate stuff you know where our addiction stems from a lot of times is the early childhood development and how can we see those are the stories where it all stems from you know, so how can we shed those stories a little bit and where they held in the body? Sometimes we got to move. Sometimes we can write. We don't need always need to close our eyes and just bear down. It's like look around or into the room you know, different ways. Yeah, especially like you said, in, in early recovery. Yeah. You know, it's just I always am trying to slow people down because especially in detox, they're like, get me out of here. I just want to go back to my life. And I'm like, your life is what got you here. Like, let's slow <laughs> yeah. down. Yeah. When it's like, I feel better. It's like right. you've been clean exactly. for eight no, days. Go home. Right. <laughs> yeah, I got this. Yeah, eight days. Maybe. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you just like self-studying through? All that with Gabor Mate and Peter Levine? Yeah, just reading that and yeah. reading their stuff and working with, there's a teacher out here, Sean Fiat Oaks. He's a spirit rock teacher, but he's doing a lot of the organic intelligence stuff, which is really cool. I, I sat with him a retreat and I've been in contact with him and following his stuff. So I really like his stuff. And just learning myself and working. I just did a course with David Trelevin. It's a trauma-sensitive mindfulness. This book is, it, well, it was a life changer for me. Wow, like his book yeah. is 
it's just like how in a therapeutic where when we're telling in, in therapy just to, mm -hmm. the mindfulness piece can really re-traumatize a lot of people yeah so mm -hmm. it's like how can we use the beautiful tool of mindfulness but more in a trauma-informed way working with clients and working in this population that's how I like to go in you know with my own practice I can fucking sit with that shit now but you know but still I even use it it's like yeah let's touch the edges of our experience we don't need to go for the deep dive it can be really re-traumatizing so how can we touch the edges like a yoga pose okay and then come back out and then maybe next time we can go a little deeper mm -hmm. yep you ain't gonna do the splits in your first time <laughs> yeah you're gonna really hurt yourself <laughs> but we try right like right? when i first did yoga i was like yeah i can stretch i'm way limber you know and i fucked up my back and really like, oh my god yeah until i had a good teacher it was like no you go right to where it's you know point of resistance and then come back I use the same thing with offering mindfulness to people just don't need to go right into look at Medusa's eyes you know grab a shield <laughs> grab a shield you know feel your feet on the floor look around the room and have a guide have a guide don't go into that bad neighborhood alone yeah that's so awesome I was just listening so hard I wasn't even thinking about my next question <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's interesting doing this work, though, too, because for my practice, like the first few years, I was like doing these long ass retreats, like I would do seven to 10 retreats. I was doing like in my first five years, I was doing a month, not at a time, but every year I'd want to do at least a month worth of meditation retreats. And these retreats are not really a treat. It's like a boot camp. You've done meditation retreats? I haven't yet. Yeah, it's like, you know, you're sitting for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and then you're walking, sitting, walking, sitting, walking. You have a little Dharma talk, they call it, but you're in silence. You're not reading. You're not writing. Yeah, that scares the shit out of me. It was brutal. In the beginning, it was like gnarly, but I built up and it's like, that's where I had these really big and the, the transformative kind of stuff happening. And I was held. I, my friends were teachers, too. So I was like, I felt like, OK, I'm safe. But then later... I haven't done as many retreats and the last ones I did one was Sean and it was more of going into silence and coming out more relational Dharma like we were talking about. Yeah, oh yeah. I wanted to talk but, about that. There you go, yeah. bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be it would be like we'd be in silence in the morning and then lunch we could talk and we would have conversations with the other yogis, other people at the retreats. So it's coming in and out of experience. And I found that really beneficial. I like that because it is. It's like, I like saying, it's not just about how long we can sit on the cushion. It's about how do we take it from the cushion to the street? How are we out? How are we navigating in this world? So I have some fear coming up. I'm actually going to Thailand and do a little bit of hanging out. But then I'm doing a seven-day silent retreat with uh, Ajahn Amaro, which is He's a monk, so it's like, I don't know how informed this dude is, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like in the Thai forest, and it's like, okay, I haven't really sat like this for a while, and there's a lot of stuff that I've been sitting with lately, a lot of, you know, so I'm like, wow, I'm a little in fear about that, but I feel like I can take care of myself. Yeah, but the, the relational dharma is just, you know, doing different stuff where it's how are we taking the stuff that we learned about ourselves, and how are we listening, how are we communicating within relationship with others? So, you know, some of those groups are, you know, we do a little bit more of like dyads and triads processing a little bit more you know, mm. stuff like that. Well, you mentioned, you know, bypass earlier, and I, mm -hmm. I feel like I see that a lot. And it's something I really try to help my clients with, too, like not emotionally bypassing. And I see a lot, <laughs> a lot of people engaging that spiritual bypass. My mother yeah. was one of those. And I'm guessing that when you're really practicing this relational dharma, 
it helps with that because then you have you have a mirror, somebody else to call you out. Because if you're just doing these internal practices, you can fool yourself so easily to thinking, I'm not bypassing, I'm dealing with my stuff. I'm sitting with my shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had someone who would just be like, well, impermanence, like if I was upset about something and I'm like, fuck you. That's, that's yeah. not how impermanence fuck works. Fuck you, exactly. Yeah. That's not right. You're using impermanence as a weapon against me. Yeah. Don't fucking do that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's that whole, it, yeah, it is what it is. That expression really bugs yes. the fuck out of me. Yes. Um, I always go, what is the it that That's is? not acceptance. <laughs> let's get to the it. Okay, right. the it is that it sucks. So let's be with mm -hmm. the suck. Right. But again, it's like, so like even the Brahma Viharas, even these kindness practices, they can become a true bypass, even sticking with the breath. I'm just like, you're sitting on the cushion, you can get concentrated in the breath. That is a beautiful thing, but it can be a bypass mm -hmm. because you're just getting concentrated. The mindfulness piece, so that's a concentration. The mindfulness piece is open awareness. So when you can bring mm -hmm. that calm in there, cool. And then open your awareness to what's happening. Sounds mm -hmm. are happening. Emotions are happening. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness of the mind. That's one of the four foundations. Mindfulness of the mind. So turning towards the mind. How is the mind and the emotions working together? What is just investigating and seeing. So when that's happening, so we can use not a bypass, but the kindness as a practice, kind of like that yoga pose when it is too much. May I be at ease. May I be mm. at peace? Come back to the breath. Get that mm. concentration. Using it as not a bypass, but a tool. A tool yeah. to come in and out of an experience that is difficult. Even sitting on the cushion, like you said, it's like I can meditate for fucking hours, mm -hmm. but it's like, okay, mm -hmm. cool. What are you doing? <laughs> right. Right. No, you just lost in a delusional thought of like, you know, figuring shit out. <laughs> right. And then if you are an asshole off the cushion, then you're definitely like, bypassing something Buddhists aren't exempt to being assholes <laughs> did you hear so that so I hear yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> no mm -hmm. one is fucking exempt right. you know so it's like wow that was a huge reality for me it's like oh shit okay <laughs> yeah people are fucking people we're in these human fucking bodies that just don't like to fucking feel pain and it's everybody else's fault <laughs> right right yeah, well, so I was thinking about that today because I've been kind of both my parents have passed away and, and I just unearthed some boxes and was kind of going through their stuff and just realizing like, yeah, my dad blamed everyone. Yeah. And then my mom would either blame my dad or give it to Jesus. Damn. So how would I have learned how to like, you know, <laughs> blame dad I, or I, give it to Jesus is a great thing. That should be a shirt. Blame dad or <laughs> give it to Jesus. I'll make one and send it to you. <laughs> spiritual as fuck. Let's do right? that. Spiritual oh, as fuck yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But it was like, so I took responsibility for everything, which sure. is partly why that, that agency, when it's coupled with that responsibility, feels so threatening. And that was the handed down karma to you, you know, really, right. you know, right. so the conditions were set. Mm -hmm. I, like you said, the blame, I, I call it the blame thrower. I break mm -hmm. out my blame thrower when, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't want to feel this way. It's your fault. I feel this way. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we are coming close to the end of the hour and I'd love for you to tell people where they can find you because they're going to love you. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Instagram, I'm doing pretty good on that thing. <laughs> you know, I don't post a lot, but you could underscore Joe.Clements underscore. Or um, my website is josephclements.com. 
You can also support Roxanne and I on Spiritual AF Patreon. I'm doing some guided meditations on there. Mm. We're planning some retreats. We're going to do some retreats together, some workshops. That's where you can find me. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate this connection. And it's, Thank it's... you, Sarah. I appreciate it. It's easy to talk to you. Oh, yay. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Super nice. Uh, oh, good. It makes, yeah. yeah. Good thing I'm a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, good thing I need therapy. Yay. Great. <laughs> well, yeah. kind of sort of speaking of that, but in, in reverse, do you take private clients? Not yet, mm-hmm. but I'm open to the conversation. I, I like calling it one-to-one just kind of Mm -hmm. mentoring kind of stuff but I'm definitely I'm always open to any kind of mentoring or guidance on a one-to-one basis I'm I'm down with that for sure awesome very cool well thank you so much for joining us thank you sir appreciate it isn't Joe great go be his friend on Instagram go follow spiritually f go follow spiritually f or whatever on Instagram and listen to their podcast because it's truly awesome. I am a dedicated listener and I hope to help find more dedicated listeners for them. So thank you so much, Joe, for being a guest today. If you'd like to learn more about Joe, obviously follow him on the social medias. You can also find all of the information in one place at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And thanks as always to Andrea Clunder in the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks so much. Until next time. Bye-bye.